Corrine Township Police Department gets upwards of 45,000 calls for service every year. That's more than 3,500 calls per month. Your calls, Corrine Township. But how much do you know about the history of our police department? That's what we're going to find out today on Hey Corrine. Hey, Corrine, I'm Helen, the communication specialist here at the township. Last month, we dove into the history of the fire department. So today we're going to take a closer look at the Corrine Police Department. And to help me do that, I have retired police officer Andy Demeropoulos. And I also have Butch Fry here, a retired police sergeant. Thank you both for joining me. Thank well, you for having us. Absolutely. So, Butch, let's start with you. Uh, you were actually the first full-time police officer hired by Coleraine Township. Is that right? That's correct. 1970. What was that like? Well, you come in in the morning and uh, unlock the door and get the cruiser out and call in and tell them you're available on the radio and you're ready to go. Being the first police officer, was that a heavy weight on your shoulders or something that you wore proudly? No, it was, I was glad to do it, and I felt uh, lucky to get that opportunity to be here on the ground floor and, and uh, seeing from what it went then with just me to what it is today is uh, really something. That's fantastic. And how many years were you on the police force? Fourteen altogether. I started when I was 18 with Springfield Township. I worked the desk, and back then, uh, police ran ambulances. Uh, in some of the unincorporated areas that didn't have life squads and actually took over from funeral homes because they required more training for the ambulance people. And uh, so I started over there, and uh, back then it paid $7.50 to make an ambulance run, and I thought that was big money. And uh, I answered the phone and dispatched and uh, Worked over there for three years, and I turned 21, came to Coleraine. That's fantastic. How about you, Andy? I actually got involved with the police department in the fall of 1976. Uh, a sergeant who was here part-time, uh, Dick Dwyer, uh, got me on board with the department and uh, went through the background search and then got hired, went through the Hamilton County Police Academy, which was held up at Hamilton Avenue in the basement of the sheriff's office, and uh, completed my education there and was uh, giving my certificate in May of 77 and got my commission like in June from the state and started riding with the different officers they had here at that time. Wonderful. And how many years were you with the department? In all, 44 years, 28 and a half years were full-time. The other years were considered paid part-time in the beginning of the career. And then I did my 28 and a half years full-time and then I took that three-month hideous that you have to require by the state of Ohio so you can come back in a part-time position. But I still had the same duties. I was still the school resource officer at Northwest High School. And I didn't actually stop working here until I was 66 years old. Oh, wow. That's, that's a fantastic career. Very long career, which is wonderful. What was it about Coleraine that was special to you? What made it stick out in your mind? Well, I... Grew up here. I was in the first class and went through St. Anne's on Galbraith Road and uh, knew Coleraine Avenue when it was just uh, two lanes and stop signs and no traffic lights. And was in wanted always wanted to be a police officer. And the opportunity came along and uh, 
I, I, I went for it and uh, I love that job. How about for you, Andy? Well, a little bit different scenario. I'm, I went to Corey Elementary, Corey Junior High, Corey High School. And I remember taking that test that's supposed to tell you what you're going to be when you grow up. And my uh, counselor said I was going to be a civil service employee. I said, civil service? What's that? Like, they had no idea. He goes, oh, fireman or a policeman. I said, no, you'll never see me in that position. And I went on to Miami University for a year and didn't really fit into the college thing that wasn't mine. You know what I'm saying? Went into the workforce, got laid off at Roadway Express because of change of uh, politics. Jimmy Carter deregulated the industry. And so then I'm married and I'm looking for a job. And I knew uh, Dick Dwyer up here at the police department through my dad. They were high school friends. And my dad was actually here as a part-time officer at the time. He says, are you interested? We've got a government program that started up. And I said, yeah. So I, they signed me up. I went for the academy. And as they say, the rest in here. And of course, the funny part is the first time I saw that counselor in the uniform, he's like, told you. <laughs> How about equipment? So you guys joined on in the 70s. What was the equipment like then compared to now? Well, we didn't have all the computers or anything back then. The communication center, uh, we didn't have portable radios. If you got out of the car, you had to put your outside speaker on, which annoyed everybody in the area. You couldn't get away from the car. Uh, it was the only way you had of communicating. And if you were out on a traffic stop or something, you were on your own. You did not have a personal radio back. They just didn't have portables with and and we was down on cruisers. I mean, when I started, I think we had two, and it was a big deal when we got the third one. And uh, it, it wasn't like it is today, for sure. And just picking up, you got to realize when I came in in '76, I started riding with the officers they had at that time, and it was exactly like what you said that at the end of his career is that if you needed to get help, you had to get back to your patrol car because that's where the radio was. There was no radio. Uh, we were all carrying six shooters, revolvers, and you had 18 bullets, six in your gun and 12 on your speed loaders and no radio and a nightstick. And that's all you had. And the paperwork was so simplistic compared to what they have to do at the end of my career and what they're doing now. It's unbelievable. The, the big changes, of course, came. I, I can remember when they came out with the computers to put in the, in the department. And they were big and it was you typed in what you wanted to do and it punched holes in a ribbon and then you fed the ribbon through this machine and it would spell out what you wanted to, whatever you query you had to do and uh, it took a long time to get the hang of that for us and uh, it went a long ways from typing in the computer if you wanted to check on a license plate or something uh, Somebody going through three by five cards to see if that was written down somewhere. Oh my gosh. That, that is a far cry from the systems today. <laughs> right. And while he was in his career, that's what he had to do. And I, I was in that career at that time. I went through that to the, it got to the point where all you had to do is punch in a license plate on the car and you'd get the information before you pulled over. Wow. I mean, I remember staying there for minutes waiting for a result if you pulled somebody over waiting to see, are they allowed to drive? Are they wanted? Is it really their car? And now you get this, these guys, now they get this information within seconds. It, it just, 
has changed so much during what I saw from 76 to when I left and what's yet to come. What is yet to come? Yeah, nowadays they've got tasers, they've got all sorts of really cool equipment, even something like a like uniforms and vests, I'm sure were a lot different. Yeah, when I started, I did not have a bulletproof vest. No. And, and I ended up getting one um, through my brother. And this is a sad part of the story, but I'll tell you, say it. My brother got it from a guy who was a policeman out tomorrow, and that gentleman got shot and killed by a shotgun. And he didn't have his vest because I was wearing it. And he had given it to my brother and gave it to my brother to give it to me. He says, well, Andy's working at Coleraine. That's a really busy area. He should have a vest. And I wore it all the time. And then several weeks after I got it, he got shot and killed in that traffic stop when he got shot by a shotgun. And he had that recorded, he had a recording device in his pocket when he got shot. And that still hangs me to this day. Yeah. Because I hate his best. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm glad he was able to keep you safe. He did. I mean, I ended up, that was my best for many years until the department finally came around and started buying him for the officer, which was quite a few years later in my career. And I had several armed confrontations with that vest, which I never got shot at, but I had some guns pulled. So I felt real secure with that. Talk about maybe some of your fond memories of being on the police force. What are, what are some stories you guys can tell about some good times being with Coring? Well, the, the chief that hired me, Bill Terrell, he was, he was a, just a really great guy. And he didn't talk about it, but he was in the Korean war and literally hand to hand combat when they crossed over the parallel and, uh, and standing there in a box of fighting, fist fighting, uh, you know, and people next to him not making it. But he never talked much about that, but he was just a good guy to work for. And I can remember when they hired me, he said, never lie to me and I'll back you all the time. And uh, I always thought that was pretty good advice. Mm-hmm. Going back to the same thing, Bill Terrell hired me part-time and uh, he swore me in everything. He looked at me, he goes, how old are you? I'm 21. So says, do me a favor. What's that? And then he was kidding when he said, he said, don't shoot nobody right away. Like done in advance. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try not to do that. You know, I mean, it was, it was humorous. He was laughing. He said, ah, get out of here. Go start, start riding with people. Get some experience. I'm like, yes, sir. And I started riding with all the different officers they had at that time. Got my experience. And Andy, you had mentioned this before we started recording, uh, but Butch actually has a very nice letter for a crime that he stopped in Coloring Township. He does. And not many officers can say they've got a letter from J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, I was in the right place at the right time. There was a holdup at a local bank and uh, uh, managed to, there was an exchange of gunfire and that. And we got the, got the fellow and uh, I was surprised that, uh, of course, it was federal, federal uh, offense holding up a bank that's federally insured. And I got that accommodation from J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> I, I was uh, surprised to, to get that. You must have been on cloud nine. Yeah, yes, it was. Are there any other arrests or busts or career moves that stick out for either of you? Well, I guess sometimes you just get satisfaction when you see all the pieces falling together. And uh, 
like one of my biggest investigations, as far as I was concerned, was still when I was still part-time before I got the full-time position, was a, uh, we'll basically call it a vicious rape of a child over the nighttime period. And I got sent to the house and I did the investigation, the start of the ball rolling. And the bottom line is, is that uh, the guy who did this was known to the family. And he had actually got out of prison from Texas and came up here. He had done the same thing to the same girl in Texas, unfortunately. And the pieces just fell together like a book closing. Uh, there was a car out in the, in the neighborhood from Texas. There's a car missing from Corrine Township that's just been stolen. The guys from Texas, uh, my sergeant here at the time was Sergeant Bob Otto was overseeing the investigation with me. And we put out broadcasts. We did everything that needs to be done. And he got caught in the stolen car going back into Texas at the Oklahoma border by the Texas Rangers. And he ultimately ended up coming back and he ended up getting three life terms for what he did. That was satisfaction. Um, it was devastating what happened to that family. But uh, the satisfaction was that all the pieces work. You know, the communications, everybody wanted to get the bad guy. And it, it, it was very satisfying for that to happen. Bringing some justice and closure. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that this is a tough job. Being a law enforcement officer is tough. You see a lot of things that the normal public doesn't. What kind of calls did you guys take in the 70s versus towards the end of your careers? I think it's pretty much the same as far as the calls on your domestic violence and that. I think the difference today is you got more people standing behind you and they'll send maybe two or three officers where when Andy and I, you were on your own, and uh, you had to, you had to rely for somebody to come and back you up. It wasn't going to be there right away. I think where today, of course, they've got you know they send more than one officer on those situations. And then I saw the change because I was here when Butch left, and I was already here in a part time capacity, and I'm going full time. And I saw that change where you. The scale of pay went higher and higher and higher. The equipment got better and better and better. And you, it did, at, at the beginning, you didn't have the backup. You get out of the car, you're, you're on your own, you had to get back to the radio, and then the radios came out. And that gave you a sense of, well, now at least I can call somebody. And But you got to remember, back then, things were so simple. When I got a radio at near the end of his career, when we get a radio, if something happened in Blue Ash, you heard it because there was only one band. There was only one radio frequency for the whole Hamilton County. Yeah. And the city of Cincinnati had their own and Norwood had their own. But as time goes on and so many people were, you know, populated in the different areas, then they cut it in half and had an east and west frequency. And now it's gone to the point where they have three frequencies just for Hamilton County, east, west, and central. So how did you tell what call was yours and what call wasn't? Well, everybody's assigned their number, and uh, of course, you knew your area, but you knew the other departments. Every department had their own call letters. There no, you know, we didn't share the same one. And, and over the years, you got to know everybody and knew their voice. So, and, and I know Andy was the same way. If you heard somebody, I always use the analogy: if you heard an officer need assistance at River Downs, I was heading to River Downs, and I would hope the same. If I need help, they would be coming to me. Right. That that sense of brotherhood and fraternity and just unity in department, is that something that's kind of held true through 
Well, sure, because you never know when you're the one who's going to need the help. Yeah, it's it's the good guys against the bad guys. I don't care who's on the other end of the radio. They need help. We're going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what about the training? What kind of, I know we kind of touched on it before, but was there, what was the training like for you guys before you got on the job? Well, it was set up through uh, OPADA, um, Ohio Police Officer Training Academy. And um, there was regional ones, and the ones that we went to was located at the Sheriff's Department. They were also over in Norwood Police Department. They had uh, facilities. And then after after you were through the academy throughout your career, they had in-service training that was required. Uh, when they went to the new Ohio Revised Code, it was 40 hours. We had 40 hours of law. And uh, we had went pay every page, went over every page of the new laws. In-service training all the time. Yeah. What does that mean, in-service training? Well, the state put it on, it was required to go to. Um, I, had, I, I was fortunate enough to go to several homicide schools, and which that was not required, but uh, it was there if you wanted to go. Um, but there was other, like domestic violence. When that came in, uh, the domestic violence laws, that was required. And do they still give have to give the forms out on domestic Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's... That's where I was saying where the paperwork was so simplistic when I started. And then by the time I left, you had multiple copies of multiple forms that it covered from A to Z, from how many children and where they were at to everything that happened in between. And like Sergeant Price said, is that the, there's always a continuation of education. Even when I was near the end of my career, I was at, at the high school or over the junior high at the end, you still have things you got to get online and fill out, you know, read the, uh, the chaps, the information, and there was a test at the end. And that's, it, it continues. If they had something every month, there was things to learn or catch up on if they changed it or they had a different view of how it should be done. And that keeps everybody on because everybody has to log in and it's all recorded by the state. That's yeah. true. That's wonderful too that they have those for you, those classes so you can continually learn and, yeah, you know, see all the new information is coming out that you might not know. And, and the updates you get from the federal agencies came out also. You know, FBI would always put out new things, the gangs and different drugs and things like that. And yeah. you, you know, you might not have heard about it yet, but maybe it's in California, but now it's here. You know what I'm saying? It's still good on. Well, there were some things that, that with the paperwork every night you had to take and call in the amount of accidents your department had during the day and, and injuries. That was a must. Called in the sheriff's department. They had to call it into somewhere else in the state. But it would start about four in the morning. They would go right down the list of every department, calling your accidents, calling your accidents. And that was one thing had to be done every night. And taking the paperwork to that day, if you had any arrests, it had to be entered in that down to the clerk's office. That had to be done every night. And if you forgot to do that, <laughs> they'd be calling you. No, oh my gosh. Yeah. That seems like it would take a lot of time. Yeah. Well, yeah. they, the accidents, you know, you'd have that at the station and you knew that they had, you know, four wrecks that day with two people hurt. And you had to call that in after midnight. So it was just one of your duties had to be done. Do you have like the carbon paper, like the carbon copy paper that you it had to write? It was carbon things? copy paper at first, and then it became where it it was just regular paper, but they wrote through. 
Yeah. You didn't need the carpentry paper anymore. So when I started, you needed it. By the time I left, you didn't need it. You know what I'm saying? And when, when actually when I left, it was all computerized. You just hit print and then print all your copies you needed. So the police department has seen a lot of changes over the years. We talked a little bit before this about uh, Corrine Township having a constable ship even until the 60s. And so, but you were part of when the police department was formed in the 70s. Can you, do you remember why the township decided they wanted a dedicated police department? Well, I think so they could get more funding and uh, allow them to apply for different grants. Now you had to hit certain criteria and forming a police district, I believe, was one of them that allowed them to to pursue that. Because it was federally funded before, right? No. No. All local. All local local taxing. Yeah. All all of the money for the police department, which is what became a political football at the time, was through the general fund. So if there wasn't money for roads, if there wasn't money for parks, because the police department was taking the money as it was starting to grow. And I I went through that growing span. I saw people getting hired. First, a large amount of part-time people, then more full-time people including myself at that time. And it became, uh, well, the community is going to get a police department, the community's got to support it. And what just goes back, you know more than I do, I know there's at least two or three levies that failed before I got hired because I helped work on them. It was, and and there was a lot of community groups that backed the department, but it takes a lot to put a levy on in uh, to get the information out, what you want, and there's a lot of misinformation in uh, it took it took a long time to get that through. Yeah, and the icing on the cake was was that uh, when the uh, trustees decided that the police department could should no longer get funding through the administration office, and that they had to be at their own dedicated fund, and the department was disbanded. And I was here for that very long, somber day. I'll tell you to see everybody uh, be dismissed because of lack of funds. But the end result was the first levy for the police department finally passed at the end of the whole process they went through having a citizen committee and having people on the committee uh, like uh, Ray Hoffbauer, Colonel from the Sheriff's Office on the committee. And when that committee came back and made their final report to the board of trustees and said, Coleraine Township is developing and will need a full service police department. And those were words spoken by Captain Ray Hoffbauer and he stood by that. And the trustee moved forward and presented a uh, levy to the public in a unified fashion. All three trustees were for it, and it passed, and they passed ever since. When did this all happen? This was in the 80s? Uh, well, the first levies were probably, that then, that then passed was probably 74, 75, 76, okay. somewhere in there. Okay. Yeah. And then when it finally did pass, it was in, I believe it's January of 1986 is when the levy. I mean, it's when they shut us down, and it was like it was craziness basically because I had two kids. I was in the middle of building a house, so I was like trying to go out and find a job right away. I mean, like immediately, I went out the next day and started looking because I didn't know what the committee was going to come back with, and I didn't even know there was going to be a Corrine Township PD after that, and uh, you know. Trustee had told the uh, administrator at that time that uh, try to get a couple guys to stay. We're, we're going to hire four guys back during this position where we don't have a department, and they're going to work the sheriff's office. And we went through that period, and I was one of the four. 
And like I said, the committee came back. Everybody supported the levy. And it's been passing every time since. Wow. And that's I think that's because they put we put a good product up there. I mean, national certification, every year they get it. I think it, uh, one of the things is that things go full circle. Uh, when I started, the up at the corner where Northgate Mall is now, it was a field. And then slowly but sure, then they, they sold it. The mall was built. And uh, I can remember the day after Thanksgiving was always the busiest day on the police department. Because that's the big shopping, uh, beginning of shopping time. And I had a shoplifter up there uh, after Thanksgiving. And it took me 45 minutes to get out of the parking lot to get down here to the station. And now, you know, here, here the, the mall is, you know, just going away to almost nothing. So we've seen it go full circle. Oh my gosh. And all the, <laughs> ironically, all the hamburger places that were on Coleraine at one time that come and gone. And uh, I might say donut shops too. <laughs> but yes, we've seen it come and go. What do you mean all the hamburger shops? Well, there was different ones that, where uh, Honey Baked Ham is now in that strip center. It was Max, Max, M-A-C-S, hamburgers. And uh, they were here for years and uh, they were okay. Uh, Steak and Shake was on Coleraine where... I counted. Uh, it's a, yeah. Uh, it's a, what, it, what, just south of Pool there, was they had, they were there. Yeah. And of course they they moved up the road there and they were gone. Now they're back somewhat. Um, Burger King, which was one of the first ones on Coleraine, Coleraine and Lapland, which was excellent. Uh, they're gone. Uh, so we've seen it. Uh, there was a way Coleraine and Galbraith was one called the Red Barn. It was uh, excellent, excellent food. And uh, I can remember going in there and. Uh, uh, it was it was it was it was a lot different. Were there typical like cop lunch places? Like I know Red Squirrel has always been very law enforcement friendly here now. Or is there like a place where you're like, oh, we're gonna go get this today? Yeah, there was, and we got to know people. And there was a uh, like across from uh, Flat Tops at Flat Top and Cool Rain Air was a, a Georgia delicatessen. We yeah. used to go in there and uh, a few places that would make sandwiches and. Of course, they liked having there there because that was some sense of security. Same with the donut places in the middle of the night. They liked having that cruiser out there when you stopped in to get a cup of coffee or something. Uh, you were asking earlier about a humorous story. Mm-hmm. I have to say probably my funniest story for my concern is that we had a night where the communication center was not working. They had a power failure or a glitch in their system just was not broadcasting. And so we had to find a centralized location for our calls to be dispatched to us. So, yes, we all went to Dunkin' Donuts on Coleraine <laughs> Avenue, and there was three cars from one agency and three cars from our agency, and we're all sitting in there in the phone ring at Dunkin' Donuts. The guy would pick up the phone, and he it's for one of you guys. Who wants a detail? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Until they got the radio up and work in the early days that happened. Oh, that's great. It was fun. <laughs> how, did, how did you guys decide on Dunkin' Donuts? Well, it was right here on Coleraine Avenue. Just centrally located. Where the mall would be, you know what I'm saying? Oh my gosh, that's too funny. There's always that stereotype with the cops and donuts. Oh, yeah. I've, I've said I've heard every donut joke <laughs> in the world, you know. 
has there ever been, I mean, you always hear stories on, on like the internet or whatever now where it's like, oh, I got pulled over and I told the cop a joke and he let me go. Are there any kind of myths or misconceptions like that that you guys have heard throughout your careers? Well, I think every situation is different. I mean, if somebody makes a mistake or, you know, and you point it out to them and say, yeah, I'm sorry, you know, and a warning would do it. Uh, somebody, had, you know, that's got an old car and maybe the muffler's not, and they don't have the way to fix that. Giving them a ticket for that isn't going to help their situation. But pointing out, you know, hey, a fumes could come up in there, you know. So every situation's different. What are some qualities that you guys feel a good officer should have? Well, number one would be patience. That and realize that your job is to help people. That's your main thing is out there to help. Can you expand on that anymore? Well, sure. I mean, we would have somebody would call a, a lives by themselves. And we had a, a numerous calls, just one house all the time. A lady lived by herself, was not in good shape, and she would fall in the bathroom and that, but she would be able to call. Well, I realize that, you know, you can't, somewhere along the line, somebody's got to be contacted to that family. But your job's to go help them and help them get up off the floor and see if they're okay. And uh, I know I had, over the years, broken a lot of people, and I stressed it, hey, this is your job, you know. So that I think that's part of it. Patience, what he said, help people with communication. you got to listen to what they're telling you so you can really figure out what's going on. You might not hear it if you don't pay attention to what they're saying. Uh, so many times we go to like a domestic and people are screaming and hollering. You got to let them vent because they're both angry. And I will always let them vent because one of my training officers said, let them vent for a few minutes and then take control and say, okay, you can't control this. You've called me. Now we're going to go through the steps. And that was nice later on because you always had a backup most times. Yeah. In the beginning, you're on your own. Well, and anybody that's ever been on a department said they've never been scared they're lying. Because I'm telling you, uh, I've, I've joked that I could look down and see my badge moving from my heart beating. It, uh, and everybody that's been out there has been in that situation. And another thing is that any of them that's ever been out there and say they haven't cried, they're lying. Because it hurts. Yeah. Yeah. Um. As far as fear factor, I'll, I'll back that up with Sergeant Fry 100%. It's like in one situation where I was involved, it was really, really cold outside, like barely above zero. And I stopped the guy for a minor traffic violation on Colerine and Springdale. And he jumped out of the car and ran at me with a butcher knife, pretty big one. And I jumped out very quickly, did what I had to do to stop him. He stopped. He cooperated 100%. As soon as I brought my weapon to bear. He dropped his weapon and I got him handcuffed and put him in the car. I'm sitting in the car and I'm sitting there thinking, what is on my head? And I, and I go like this and the fear you don't feel when you're doing it, but your body knew. I had sweated during that time outside and I had ice crust across my forehead and I was wiping the ice off my forehead in the car and I was like, wow. And then the, the, the moral of that particular story was he was an escapee from Romans. Romans was over then. He was a mentally ill person. So 
until nothing happened, you know, other than he went back and got locked up. But he had a stolen car and that happened and you didn't feel the fear, but you knew you had the fear when it was over. I think one of the the main things that happened that I remember was uh, life changing for the people here was in 77 and 78, we had a blizzard come through here. And it was uh, not a warm day, but wasn't a cold day and it was raining and the temperature dropped like a rock. And it went from rain to slush, snow to solid ice everywhere. And 30 below was the temperature with wind chills way below that. Uh, nothing was going, nothing could move. Uh, the cruisers, when that slush turned ice from the rut, from people driving through it, the ruts, the cruisers dropped down and tore the exhaust systems off the cars. You couldn't go. So the National Guard came in and they set up cots in the police station and we were riding in National Guard vehicles. Uh, a lot of the things that we did was delivering prescriptions, something you don't think of. People need their medicine. You can't go. Uh, well, we did with the uh, National Guard. Wow. And uh, they wound up on the roads taking uh, big road graders with, uh, like they called it a star grazer, and it dug into the ice and and dug the ice up, and that's how they got the roads open. Oh, gosh. I can remember seeing a pool in Colerain, and there was a bunch of guys going down and had a rope out the back and had guys tubing, riding the tubes. And I thought, geez, I wasn't working. That looks like a lot of fun. <laughs> and they were I say, hey, we can't be doing that. <laughs> Ooh, was that the same year that like the Ohio River froze and all yes, of that? Yes, it is the same. Yeah, they actually went by one of my house in Norfolk with a high loader, breaking off the ice and dumping it in your yard because yeah. that's the only way you get it off Country the street. Through. Oh my goodness! It was terrible. And we had to, so they come in, they set up cots in the police station, and guys were sleeping in there, which was impossible to do with the radios. People coming and going and coming in and doing paperwork and that, and then they are you guys awake back there? <laughs> what what do you want the the community to know what do you want people to know about what it's like being a police officer everybody goes to work wanting to do the best they can for the community and keep the community safe and they need the help of the community they need that support of the community the community and the police department is only as strong as the citizens who want them there. That's that's it in a nutshell. And I was so overwhelmed by the support we got when the department was disbanded and we passed that first levy and saw the outpouring of people like, yeah, we, we need you guys. And it's been like that ever since. But it's, it's a two-way thing. The officer's got to make sure that they're taking care of that person. I always looked at it this way. Everybody I dealt with, whatever their problem is, no matter how small or insignificant you might think it is to you, it's their main problem. And that's why you're there. And it's, it's hard when you look at it that way, but it's how you have to look at it because I could have just left or somebody else could have just left maybe a, an accident or someone lost their life. And now 25 minutes later, because you're not the investigating officer of the crash, you just blocked the road for a while or something. Now you're dealing with a cat stuck in a tree or a stolen bicycle. 
that's important to that person I call. And you have to let them know that you're going to solve the problem. Right. And it goes back to that compassion thing that you're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you get a call to somebody's house, like Andy said, it might be a, they found a license plate in their yard or something. That's a big deal. They have the police come to their house and then they tell them, hey, we had to have the police here today. And you got to treat that. That's a big deal to those people. And don't take it for granted that you've done that 10 times before you got there. And I, I always stress that to people. It, you know, it's a big deal to go to somebody's house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any final thoughts, parting thoughts before we close it out? Bottom line is it's the community is as strong as your schools and your police department and your fire department. And you need to support those identities and those organizations because that's what makes the bedrock of your community safe. You know, uh, what's the old saying? You, you, you can't call a, a fireman for a burglar. You can't call a policeman for a life squad run. And, you know, um, who's going to educate the kids? And all these different principles in the community got to come together. And that's how you have a nice, safe community. And you got you to look out for one another because... As good as the officers are, as much as it's increased from the time I was, when I got hired, I think they had what, five full-time people when I was a part-time guy? Yeah. Okay, to what they've got now, I think it's close to like 55. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but the community's still growing. And you've got to keep up with that growth. You've got to keep up with those, those different attributes in the neighborhoods that change. That, I mean, there was no thing as a drive-by shooting when I started here. Okay, that, that was the last 10 years of my career. That didn't happen. Uh, Coring Township was considered, and Butch might laugh when he hears it, Coring Township was so busy, we were considered Cincinnati District 6. That's how busy we were. Yeah. I mean, the city of Cincinnati is number one dispatch in the county. Coring's always number two in the number of calls. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I, I think it, uh, it's great that, that people want to know about the department and uh, that book that has a history of the different communities that one here for Coleraine has a lot about how things around here are named, the streets like Struble or uh, Sheets or whatever. It was people that originally lived here. And, it, and there's a lot of stuff in there about the police department and the fire department. Uh, but if you wanted to look it up, that's where to, to find a lot of stuff. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hey Coleraine. New episodes will be available each month, so make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts on. And hey, we're social. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can also learn more about what's going on in our community by visiting our website, coleraine.org. On behalf of us here in the Coleraine Township Administration, I'm Helen, and thanks for listening to Hey Coleraine.